I don't know what it was in that moment. I think I had a bit of a, a Russell Crowe moment. <laughs> and I did something very, very unchristian like, and something that I regret deeply, and something I've never done in a long time. And I uh, put a finger up, <laughs> ex expecting to me to just zoom off like Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious and just go, goodbye, sucker. Um, I did it, looked up ahead, and thought it was red. So I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Dan and Joe Film Show. Hope you're all well. Hope you're staying safe amid all this crazy pandemic stuff. And as always, I'm joined by the delectable, the delicious, the downright dandy, Joe Richards. I've got a question for you. Do you write this stuff beforehand? Because that was <laughs> that sounded very good to the year. Are we doing like it alphabetically? So next, next show has got to be E's. Yeah, absolutely. You've just you've got it straight away. And no, I don't script this. It's all just improv. I'm a natural. What can I say? We do need we do need like a compilation of every intro I've given you for every show I and mean, just make a little video. I mean, you know, I've got the time to do that right now. I'm not exactly busy. But um, yes, how, how have you been? How are you? Good. Yeah, you say you're not busy, but you've been a very busy boy over the past couple of days. We've actually met up now and gone to the cinema. We travelled over the bridge to Yate on did. Saturday and we it, finally saw two films together, which has been a long time coming. It feels like ages and it has been ages. It must have been at least over 135 days or something like that since we last saw a film together. So it was a special moment. It was really, really lovely. So we saw that Saturday and we had a great time. We had a stroll around Yate, which you've been to before. Yes, I know Yate very, very well. Lovely place, lovely place. They weren't quite ready for us while she's with a but um, tiny cinema, but I would recommend it. And yeah, we had a great time, didn't we? We had a pint. It was all, it was a fantastic day. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, lovely cinema. It's very small compared to the cinema worlds that we're used to. Wouldn't want to watch Tenet there. I've got to say, I'd probably rather watch Tenet at a different cinema. But yeah, I, I, it was a really lovely day and it was good just to feel that kind of sense of normality again. And then we even went to the cinema again last night to see a film, this time more locally in Nantgaru, a cinema which I haven't visited for at least, I'd say, 10 years now. I think the last film I saw in there was probably 300, so it was probably longer than 10 years, actually. Yeah, how, how old were you there? 12? Was it 12 No, years old no, I was in units. <laughs> so rude. I'm trying here, I'm trying. So rude. <laughs> I, um, but yeah, 300. So I do, can't remember when that was at, but I was in university. So that was the last time I went to that cinema. So we've done like a little tour of cinemas at the moment, which has been nice because a lot of cinemas in Wales, even though... Um, they've been told that they can open. A lot of cinemas still aren't open in Wales. I think there's literally like one or two. So it's been an interesting few days. And yeah, you've been a very busy boy and you're going to be busy because you're going away next week as well, aren't you? You're going on holiday. I, I am indeed. 
I'm going to the seaside. Uh, it's uh, yeah, watch out. Yeah, I'm heading to Cornwall with uh, with my better half and her family. I'm really excited. It's going to be nice. I never thought I'd really have a holiday, or none of us thought we'd have a holiday in the summer. And make the most of it, you know, you don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year. So, yeah, we're going down. Hopefully, fingers crossed, nice weather. I'll be on the beach, getting my uh, feet and toes in the, in the sea, having trunks up here, not showing too much flesh. You don't want to show too much flesh, no, do you? No, especially um, you. You've got a lot of Especially me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't want to make people jealous. I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. I love watching them, and I love making them. We're now joined by film critic, writer, and broadcaster James King to discuss his latest book. It's called Be More Keanu, and thank you, James, for being with us. An absolute pleasure. Great to be here. First off, how has lockdown been for you? Because obviously, we're just speaking about then, a very strange couple of months for film. Um, and obviously for your job as well, but how have you been in lockdown? Yeah, it's been okay. The weirdest thing for me in terms of my career and my profession is that I've been so used to new films week in, week out for, you know, obviously for as long as I've been doing the job. They, they don't stop every Friday normally. There's a new load of films out and that's just how it's always been until lockdown and the cinemas closed and okay, you've got a few new releases, kind of dribs and drabs on, on uh, streaming services. But generally speaking, there just wasn't the new product out there. And it was really weird for, for me as someone who I've thought in terms of Fridays for so long. What's next Friday? What's the Friday after? What's the new stuff? What's the new latest blockbuster? All of a sudden, that stopped. For the first time I can remember, that stopped. And that, it was just really weird to, to have another Friday come round with no new films. It has been very, very strange. And it's weird because I'm used to looking on IMDb and at the moment I, I just, obviously they don't put a lot of stuff on Netflix and things like that on there. So it's just been really strange being in that limbo period, isn't it? Of suddenly like the old guard on Netflix just popping out yeah. of like thin air all of a sudden. <laughs> um, yeah, but, and, the, and then a load of films that, that by now in theory we should have seen. You know, by now, we should have all seen No Time to Die. We should have all seen Tenet. We should have all seen Wonder Woman 1984. We could be talking about those in normal life. We'd have been to the cinema and would have enjoyed those movies. And now you, you just think, when am I going to go to the cinema and enjoy those movies? I know that there are release dates in theory, but I think even though it costs the film companies millions of dollars every time they shift a release date, we also just have to take every release date that they've given us with a pinch of salt because they might have to move them again so there's there's so much uncertainty obviously the film industry needs those movies to come out because that's how they're going to make a lot of cash they can release like this week for example when we're recording it there's a new Gemma Arterton movie there's a new Russell Crowe movie at the cinema you know there's stuff out there but that's never going to save the cinema that's never going to save the industry because they're pretty low-key small movies they need Tenet to come out and they need No Time to Die to come out just to bring in the big bucks. Absolutely. Um, it's all kind of relying on Tenet at the moment. So uh, fingers <laughs> yeah, crossed. No, no pressure at all. <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine if we go and see Tenet and maybe when, by the time this comes out, it will be now. I don't know. But, you know, imagine if we all go and see it and it's rubbish. How weird is that? <laughs> We've been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Yeah, it'd be very, very strange. But we, you, you've joined us today to talk about uh, your new book, Be More Keanu, which is uh, out on August the 6th. And it explores the man, the myth, the legend that is Keanu Reeves, as well as unpack some of his like, most iconic roles, films like Speed, Bill and Ted, John Wick. Why Keanu? And what did you learn the most from writing the book about him? I think why Keanu, because, I mean, you use that word, the man, the myth, the legend, and in a way, you know, that's sort of a, a joke, but at the same time, he probably represents those more than most movie stars, because he does have this uh, legendary, mythical quality to him. He's a mysterious person. We, we know a bit about him. We think we know certain aspects of him, but ultimately, he's not someone who gives a huge amount of himself to the public or to the press. So uh, that obviously is immediately fascinating because if someone seems to have this kind of shock horror private life that we don't know about, you're automatically intrigued by that person. He's always fascinated me because of that. He's an enigma because of that. There are only really a handful of actors who kind of do that, whether that's Joaquin Phoenix or Daniel Day-Lewis or people like that, you know. A, a lot of stars now are just out there and they do every interview going and they're on social media and they're just open books well Keanu really isn't like that so that I think was the initial thing that fascinated me about him and in terms of what I learned about him well I suppose I started writing the book intending it to be a little bit more of a spoof than it's actually ended up because I wanted to spoof that idea of Keanu the myth and the legend the guru the you know the spiritual leader um, that he's sort of become on the internet and become on, on social media, you know, with memes and things like that. So I wanted to spoof that a little bit to begin with. And of course, there, there is a, a spoofy element to the book. But as I was writing it, I started to think, I don't really want to send this stuff up because the way he lives his life and the things he says and the things he does actually seem really wholesome and seem really good things. So although the original title of the book was just going to be, whoa, uh, then I changed it to I changed it to be more Keanu because I thought well actually that the, the, you know the, the mood of the book has changed it is less of a Mickey take now and it is now a book where actually I think we can genuinely learn things and help ourselves by trying to be more like him absolutely it's more of a self-help book now isn't it really <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's it's you know I've called it cinema therapy um, it's sort you know it's if you want a movie book it's a movie book if you want to read about Keanu Reeves movies absolutely you can read it like that but you know I've drawn elements out of his life and his films and hopefully turned it into something that can I mean you know it sounds weird me saying it just that the film reviewer off the radio but hopefully these things can help you you know hopefully what I've written can be sort of therapeutic in some way to, to people because certainly that's that's what I intended. Uh, and you describe Keanu Reeves as being the one um, you spoke there about how legendary he <laughs> is uh, it seems obviously you have such a love and a fascination with him. Where did it all start? Was it in your childhood? Was it a particular film that just made you go, wow, I love this guy? Yeah, it was probably Point Break. I love that film because there's this, this pull that he has as the sort of the upright rookie cop who does things by the book and he's very straight. And then he's lured into this world this bohemian world of the of the, the surfers and the bank robbers and a, a much more kind of thrilling and dangerous life than he has himself. And I love that that tug in the film 
that he sort of knows that he's with the law, you know, he is a, a police officer, but at the same time, there's something so attractive about the life that Bodhi leads, that Patrick Swayze's character leads, and all of his friends leads. So, you know, as the tagline went, it's 100% pure adrenaline. And I think that was what I re I mean, obviously the action scenes are great and it looks fabulous and Catherine Bigelow is just a genius at, at action movies. But I just loved that, that pull that he had where he couldn't quite decide which life do I follow. That, and that's really stuck with me. You may have answered my next question already <laughs> with that answer. Usually what we do with our guests on the show is a desert island movies. In your case, we thought we would mix it up a little bit and do yep. Desert Island Keanu. So one <laughs> Keanu Reeves film that you would watch, happily watch, if you were stranded on a desert island for the rest of your life. Would it be Point Break or would it be something else? For the sake of, of uh, variety on the show, let's do another one. Let's do The Matrix. I think having revisited that a couple of times, obviously in the last few months writing this book, and, and that was revisiting it for the first time in quite a long time, it still stands up, that first movie. It was absolutely groundbreaking in its day. And of course, what it did so brilliantly is, again, like Point Break, the action stuff is, is phenomenal, but it also brought something else into the mix, which was this idea of spiritual questions, philosophical questions, lots of themes and ideas brought in from Asian philosophy. It's so much more than just a science fiction movie, so much more than just an action film. And so many people, and myself included, left the cinema after seeing that, asking questions about the world, asking deep philosophical questions about the world. What if it isn't real? What if this is all made up? We are all in a computer program. So I think that, that The Matrix is the gift that keeps on giving, really, because it's so dense. And then when you get onto the sequels, I mean, they, they take a lot of unpacking. There's a lot going on there. So if I was on a desert island, I probably couldn't handle The Matrix revolutions. But, I, but, you know, that's, that's asking too much. But uh, the, the first movie, you know, it, it's that perfect balance for me of just massive blockbuster entertainment, but also has these really complex questions at the heart of it. Yeah, good picks there. And finally, obviously, we spoke before about kind of we us missing the, the flow of films every Friday coming from the cinema. We haven't had that since back in March. It feels strange that um, it's starting to come back again. Um, obviously, a lot of cinemas are reopening. Some still aren't. What do you think the future of movie going will look like once the pandemic is over, once all of this is done? Do you think cinemas can reclaim all those people that they've lost the last couple of months? It's a big ask. Obviously, I really hope they can because I'm a cinema fan and want to champion cinema going. They've got a big battle on their hands because they've lost four or five months where people have really gone to streaming services in, in massive numbers. They were there already, a lot of people, but I think, I mean, I've joined more streaming services in the last few months than I, than I was, was on in March, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So the cinemas now have a battle, which is how can we drag people away from the comfort and the ease of just streaming something on Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or whatever. And, you know, there are absolutely some films that, that even the laziest film watcher in the world would want to make the effort to go to the cinema to watch the big blockbusters. But I think the problem is going to be the, the more kind of mid-level movies and smaller independent films, because you could argue that actually they're more likely to be watched if they rock up on Netflix 
than if someone has to get in the car, drive to the nearest town, park their car, and then pay 10 quid to go and watch it at the movies. I think that's the battle. The blockbusters are probably safe, but I think the battle for cinemas is those mid-level and lower budget films. How do we get people to watch them? Thank you again, James, for doing this. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. All the best of the book, Be More Keanu, is uh, released August 6th. Go out and buy it. And I'm sure many months have gone where people have just watched TV. So pick up a good book and educate yourself on the life of Keanu Reeves. Yeah, thank you again, James, for doing this. It's been a pleasure. And always remember, be excellent to each other. Shall we move on to some reviews now, Joey? Let's do it. And the first of which, hold on to your seats is another World War II drama. And this time around, it stars Gemma Arterton. It's called Summerland. It's directed by Jessica Swale, and it is currently shown in cinemas. It's set in World War II. It's set about an English woman uh, who lives on the coast here, but Gemma Arterton, she opens her heart to an evacuee who is sent to her amid kind of the evacuation. And initially, she wants to get rid of him. She doesn't like children. She does not take to him. But after a while, um, it's a beautiful story about uh, a moving journey of womanhood. It's about love. It's about friendship. It's about these two of them seeing eye to eye uh, in the strangest of circumstances. Here's a clip. The floating islands in the clouds. Is that like heaven? No, it's physics. Some sort of mirage. Do you believe in heaven? Yes. Well, you shouldn't. Just made up by the Christians to make themselves feel better. How do you know? Because if it was true, what happened to all the people who died before the Christians? Where did their souls go? Summerland. Where? Summerland. Come on, I know a shortcut. <gasps> Where's Summerland? Here. In Kent? No. All around us. Like a layer that we can't see. Until it gets disturbed by a restless soul. It's trying to tell us something. How? How do you think? By disturbing the patterns. Look. Patterns in the clouds. Pagans thought they were signs. From Summerland. Magic. I thought you didn't believe in magic. I don't. Stories have to come from somewhere. And that was a clip there from Summerland. And we saw this just a couple of nights ago, actually. We saw it in the cinema in good old Nangaru. Had, had to pay a fair bob. Felt like I was rationing at this point, to be honest with you. <laughs> do, you want, do, you want, do you want do you want my potatoes instead? Or a bit of ham? You know, we want to see this because, it, it, for me, this is just a, a typical British, uplifting kind of wartime drama. We see a lot of these. It stars Tom Courtney, who we just love. I've got to just say a funny story about Tom Courtney. My nan thought he was dead for many, many months. We're sorry, Tom. Um, you know, <laughs> you are Tom. still Poor Tom. You are still spring chicken. But, yeah, we thought he was dead for many, many months. And then all of a sudden, he just pops up on the internet. I'm like, Nan, he's not dead. And she's like, oh, I thought he was. So sorry, Tom, for that. He's, he's live and kicking here. Also stars Penelope Wilton and Lucas Bond, who plays the young evacuee Frank as well. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was such a sweet, adorable, really, really kind of well-acted British drama. For me, the film works really, really well in its second half because the first half I thought was fine. 
Gemma Ask's character has flashbacks of her like forbidden love to a very very um, you know good uh, friend of hers, and like a, there was like a romance going on before the war. And I thought those bits were done very very well. I liked the relationship between her and the young evacuee Frank. Um, but I was watching it, and I just thought to myself, okay. It's a lovely film, but there doesn't seem to be much of substance to it. There doesn't seem to be much story here. And then all of a sudden, just into the third act, um, a twist is revealed. We're not going to spoil what, but I genuinely thought it was such a satisfying twist. And we don't say that often. There are some twists in films that we, we don't like, but really it completely blew me away. I, I really didn't um, kind of predict it was going to happen. And it kind of makes everything go full circle, which I really, really liked. And from then on, I thought the film was just really, really beautiful. I, I, I thought it was kind of the film we all need right now. I know that I use that expression a lot. I think it's come at a perfect time in cinemas because it is not a big budget film, but I think it will draw in an audience, maybe an older audience, maybe a female audience. But I do think people should definitely make an effort and go out and watch this. I thought it was really sweet, really charming. Gemma Artson, I think one of her best performances of her career. A very, a very, very, um, shrewd very unlikable character but she does that really really well and you really sympathize her towards the end really really enjoyed this what did you think i thought pretty much the same as you to be honest the first half of the film i had my reservations i was a little bit concerned it was flashing back between Gemma Arterton and Gugu Mbatha-Raw. And I thought, oh, I, I kind of want more of that. I kind of want more of a development between their romance and their relationship as opposed to her relationship with Frank, uh, played by Lucas Bond. It wasn't until that third act twist, which I agree is a fantastic third act twist. It's very rare that I sit, sit in the cinema and I'm taken aback by a, a twist, a surprise in the film, especially for something like this kind of movie. So that sort of brought it all together at the end, that final act where certain revelations are made. And it does elevate the film slightly higher than other films of its kind. So something like the Literary Potato movie, whatever that was called, the Guernsey Literary Potato film. But otherwise, it does tie things up a bit too neatly for my liking. I mean, you look at the film poster and it's one of those posters where it's got all the cast on there and they're all sort of smiling and you kind of know that everything's going to be okay in the end, no matter how bleak it gets maybe midway through, you can know things are going to be okay in the end. So it's that type of film and I probably would have admired it more if it had maybe ended with, a, with, with some loose ends or had more of an ambiguous ending. That said, it will go down lovely with a slice of cake and a cup of tea mm. on a Sunday evening. Your nan's in the armchair. You're there with a bit of Victoria sponge and a cuppa. And I think it'll go down perfectly well. And that's okay sometimes. I'm more than happy for those types of experiences every now and again. So do go and see it on the big screen just to support it. And it is worthwhile. But if you do miss it at the cinema and you have to wait to the television, you're not going to miss out much either. Yeah, I mean, you can't really bring Victoria Sponge to the cinema, can you? It crumbs everywhere. It just mm, wouldn't work. I don't know, actually. I think... Oh, well, we'll have to like try, it, won't we? Well, we should have, like, a cake club, shouldn't we? <laughs> we, should, we should invite Imelda Staunton, Celia Imry, Gemma. We should invite all the old biddies. Yeah big actors and we should have a little cake club in the cinema and watch that, their movies that's a movie the the cinema cake club society there's a <laughs> film right there and me and you're on the poster just yes. <laughs> everything's gonna be okay once there's cake
All right, well, I never thought I'd be saying the last mission before Mars, and yet here we are making last preparations for the long journey. Thank you. You have a daughter, right? Yes. Ditto. I think you ought to ask him to lighten your load. place for a kid here. You're gonna have to cut the cord. You're gonna be gone in a month. There's no such thing as a perfect astronaut. Just like there's no such thing as a perfect mother. This is Proxima, directed by Alice Winnicott. And Joe, do you want to explain the story to this one? So yeah, Eva Green plays an astronaut. She's preparing for a one-year mission aboard the International Space Station, and they're going to go to Mars. Rather than the usual type of space movie that we've kind of become accustomed to over the past few years, this isn't actually spent in space. You know, you look at the trailer for this film, and it might give you feelings of Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, for example, but this kind of focuses on the build-up to the actual mission itself. And it's really a, relation, uh, a film about a relationship between a mother and daughter. So Eva Green plays Sarah, Zelle Boulant plays her daughter Stella, and it's about these themes of guilt and the relationship between the mother and daughter as Eva Green begins to prepare to leave her daughter essentially for an X period of time so she can go off into space and do her astronaut thing um, while her daughter is being looked after by her estranged father. Going into this, I hadn't seen much about it at all. I don't think I'd seen a single trailer. I think I'd seen the poster maybe, but I know you had seen the trailer and you you got quite emotional when you watched the trailer, didn't you? When you saw it at the cinema, and, yeah, um, it, it, it was in it was in X plus. It was in like a really kind of Dolby Atmos sound in in the cinema, very different from the one we saw it in. And yeah, it, it gave me vibes of Interstellar. It gave me vibes of Gravity, and I was like, wow, what a great film to kick off the season. Uh, yeah, but not not quite that. <laughs> not quite that. No, absolutely not. And the trailer, the second trailer. You're right, it's all in English pretty much, but it's worth saying this is not an English language movie. It's bilingual. So it's first and foremost French, 
and then there's bits in English, there's some Russian in there, there's some German in there as well. So there's some gibberish in there as well. They throw that in as well. <laughs> some gibberish. Um, so it's, it's a very kind of multilingual movie. So if you've seen the second trailer and you think you're going in, be prepared to read, okay? Don't let it trick you. Um, but it is well worth the subtitles and everything like that because I thought it was a really great moving piece of work. Alice Winokur is fantastic anyway. Last film I saw of his was Mustang back in 2015. And that was about a group of four young girls struggling with life in a very male-dominated society. Um, And there's kind of similar themes of that in this. And she's just a fantastic director because she's got the most sensitive of touches when she's bringing this stuff to the screen. So I found in this film the most powerful moments in Proxima were things like there's a moment where Eva Green gets into bed. She hasn't seen her daughter in uh, a few months and she gets into bed and her daughter's fast asleep and their feet like graze each other just for, for a couple of seconds. And it's that little kind of intimate moment, that moment of, you know, interaction between them that just really took took me aback. And I think I think it is a very sensitively handled film. It it kind of deals with the same themes of Interstellar, about parents and children, but in in a much more sensitive way. You've also got, you know, the kind of feminist view of obviously Eva Green being the only female astronaut surrounded by men who at first you kind of get the impression they wanted to fail. But what I really liked about the film is that there is development there and the relationship between her and Matt Dillon does develop into something more than very um, one-dimensional man-woman type relationship. So I really liked it. I think it's got a lot going for it. The performances are incredible. Career best performance for uh, Eva Green. The young girl, uh, Zelle Boulant, is absolutely terrific adorable every time she was on screen my heart just grew bigger like the Grinch and I thought it was a really really great piece of work it's not the film that you see in the trailers it's not interstellar it is something entirely different but that's not to say that that's to its detriment if anything it's to its benefit so um yeah Proxima I really really liked it what did you think Dan? Yeah Zélie Boulant c'est fantastique uh, <laughs> let me see if I can get to this review uh, with a bit of French. Um, je suis, um, je suis, j'adore le proxima. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. You did well, though. You did really yeah. well. Je suis désolé. Um, yeah, so you're totally right with this. Completely not what I was expecting. I think the marketing, yeah, definitely kind of, and I can see why, you know, he wants to get people back in cinemas. And, and you said to me before the film, oh, Alice Winnicott, she's a French director. Would you think there'll be much French? I said, no, that'll be like the odd scene. No, <laughs> like I would say about 70% of the film is French. There are English scenes involving Matt Dillon, who's the other astronaut working with her. But for me, I don't mind. I don't mind, you know, films in a different language. Um, I just think with the marketing, it's just something that you could bear in mind a little bit more. You're right. It, it's, it's the subtle touches, isn't it? It, really, really beautiful little touches, you, like you said. I liked how the bleakness of the film, the coldness to it, this is surprisingly not an Oscar Beatty film. I mean, in the wrong hands, it could have been. I was waiting for a scene for Eva Green just to just start screaming and shouting, but you never get that scene, and that's what I kind of like. It's kind of the composure of the movie. I really liked how sensitive and how subtle, like I said, how elegant it is. It doesn't need to do those and doesn't need to have those scenes because, like you said, um, Alice Winnicott finds those ways with the cinematography, 
and the lighting and the actors to, to pull it off. I thought Eva Green was terrific. I hope she gets some sort of recognition. She shows so much with so little. I really loved her body language in the film. It's really interesting to see the, the training that the astronauts are going on. I found this room really, really informative because, we, like I said, we see a lot of films like Interstellar, Gravity, where the majority of the film is set in space. This is not at all, but it leads at the training uh, and kind of how she struggles with that, balancing being a mother. I think this was really, really kind of balanced, nuanced. Um, it knew what it was trying to do. And yeah, Eva Green, terrific. Matt Dillon as well. I really like him, the choices he's making. I know he, he's done a lot of French films. I think the last one, Trey, was his last one. So yeah, I thought it was beautifully shot. Eva Green stole the show. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Hey, hey listen to me. I... Hey, he's not a friend, okay? He's a psycho who came after me today. I just watched him run over someone at a gas station. No, you're gonna have to say that again, Rachel. You're breaking up. What the hell are you doing? Just here with Andy. Hey, if she's almost here, I can wait. Who says if you're almost here, he can wait? What do you want? No, it's not what I want, it's what I need. And I need you to learn what a bad day really is, and I need you to learn how to say you're sorry. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. Okay, there, I said it. No, how to say you're sorry and actually mean it. Whoa, and this Tom. is the beginning of that first lesson. Hey, Can I have my phone back? No. Just give me my phone. We're now joined by the director of Unhinged, Derek Bort. Derek, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure. Thank you again for doing this. And first off, how have you been? How's lockdown been for you? Have you been keeping busy? Obviously, with the new film, you seem to be keeping very, very busy. It's been interesting, that's for sure. There are a lot of people that are obviously suffering as a result, but at the same time, uh, the lockdown's been been great so far. I've I've had some downtime that with my family that I never get, and the slower pace of life that whatever that new normal is has felt good. You know, outside of having to kind of speed up the delivery of the film, which we did in in a pretty amazing way, where I set up this virtual real-time way in my screening room to work with my composer in Spain and my editorial and sound in LA and visual effects in, in Vancouver and even sometimes actors, you know, Russell and Karen both in Australia, just kind of running it from a little bit of a kind of command central here to try to deliver the film a little faster than we thought we would all have to to deliver it. So that's been that's been interesting and exciting and learned a lot in terms of uh, you know what's what's possible these days. And I can see actually now while we're talking to you, is that your screening room that, that you're sat yeah, in right yeah, now? Yeah, the corner of the screen right there. I just sort of lived in this room for about four weeks, trying wow. to do about 10 weeks worth of work from this one location, which was, uh, look, it was, it was uh, we made the best of, of it. You know, it's great to be in the room with, with your collaborators and, and, you know, your team, but at the same time, we couldn't. So we, we made the best of it here. And obviously Unhinged is uh, one of the first films to be released here in the UK. Joe and I saw it uh, on the weekend and we absolutely loved it. Um, how does it feel to be kind of take that risk and be one of the first films to be released in cinemas? And, and why did you decide to continue with a cinema release compared to maybe like streaming, for example? I think first of all, to be the first wide release out is exciting. I mean, it's, it's great. You want to make sure that, that 
the people in charge are doing things the right way so that it can be done safely. And it sounds to me like based on the updates I, I get from the studio, between the studio and the theater chains and the local governments, it sounds like they're doing everything they, they, they need to to ensure safe exhibition of the film. Outside of that, it's super exciting. You know, I just, I think people want to be in the theaters. I don't know that anyone's been in this position before, but it's great. I think as far as this film, it was really meant to be seen in that communal, immersive environment of a theater. I was fortunate enough to see the film with 450 people in a test screening pre-COVID. And the tension in the room was amazing. And the, you know, people just gripping their seats and, <laughs> and the gasps and, and, you know, the effect was just, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know that you could duplicate it on your, on your phone or something. You know, I think that watching it in a, in that environment of a theater, it was really what this film was meant for. So I'm glad that the studio stuck to their plan and, and rolled the film out properly. And can you tell us how you came on board the project? What was it that attracted you to Unhinged in the first place? When uh, Solstice sent me the script, I'm a kind of a voracious reader. I think I probably read one, you know, two scripts a day these days, but I, I started reading and usually within like 10 pages, I, I'll know whether, you know, I can, I'll be interested in something or not. And, and I just couldn't put this one down. I just, I kept needing to turn the page to see what was going to happen next. So it kind of just grabbed me by the, by the guts and pulled me through this, this terrorizing, you know, 90 minute thrill ride. And, and then once it was over, one, you know, I say, you know, I'm, I'm sort of playing it out of my head as I'm reading. And once it's over, I, I you know, I start to see that there are some kind of uh, great comment, there's some great commentary and reflection on the world with some of the issues going on around us as well. So I, it sort of hooked me on both those levels. Yeah, and, and speaking of, um, you said the commentary, obviously the th one of the big themes in the film is mental health, especially with Russell Crowe's character. He's dealing with uh, some sort of mental illness throughout the movie, which you, know, you could say there's an underlying issue there, and that kind of uh, causes a lot of the road rage we see in the film. How important is it, do you think, to have that commentary in the film, whether it's mental health or any other issues? How important do you think is that? Well, I think that, that you know, with the character, what... Russell and I really tried to do was investigate, take some from, from a functioning part of society to, to feeling invisible, to feeling like they've been left behind and have no voice anymore in, in, the, in, the, in their world and, and resorting to rage, anger, you know, and then violence to feel like they exist in the world. And I think a lot of that involved kind of a nihilism that happens when you feel like everything you believed in, as in the system around you, has let you down. And you know, I think that, that the combination of things that happens to, to, to Russell's character prior to the story starting, whether it's a, a failed marriage or an injury at work and some substance issues and some mentally, I mean, I think that it's, it's sort of just the things we saw going on in the world that, that you know, kind of re have resulted in a lack of civility, a lack of humanity to, to get people to the point where they're driving a vehicle through a crowd of people or taking a taking out their frustrations with an automatic weapon on a crowd of people, these kind of things that we see going on every week here in the States. That, and and so I think it was just kind of you know, more of a broad statement uh, who this character was to kind of cause people maybe to ask questions instead of trying to provide the answer and say it is strictly mental illness. I mean, I think that this guy's problems are too long to list, I think. And some of them are his own and some of them are societal and different people pick up on different things about him, that's for sure.
And can you tell us what it was like to work with Russell Crowe and, and were those conversations had between you and him about that kind of backstory, that history that that character has? I mean, working with Russell was uh, not exactly what I thought it was going to be, you know, because you hear things and, you know, I kind of went in a little nervous in terms of walking on eggshells. And, and you know, once we kind of just dove into the material together and clicked, you know, and, and kind of were approaching things from a similar direction, he's so thorough and so intelligent and, and, you know, he prepares in a way that really causes me to, you know, cause me to have to kind of raise my game as well. And the most fulfilling part of making this film was, was exploring this character with Russell and, and working with him every day and, and waiting to see what he was bringing to set each day. And, you know, he would always kind of come in prepared and, and wanting to try things and bounce ideas off of me. And, and really that, collaboration was the highlight of this project for me so far. Finally, what future projects do you have coming up? Is there anything in the pipeline at the minute? Well, I think that, you know, as we all kind of try to figure out what the new normal is, you know, in a post-COVID world that right now I'm, I'm learning about from an exhibition standpoint, obviously from a production standpoint, that's an ongoing thing, you know? So we don't know, you know, where and how production is is, is going to work. I mean, it's popping up, you know, it's starting to come back and I've got a few irons in the fire, a few projects and, you know, looking at a few things with Russell as well. Cause I, I, you know, would love to work with him. Nothing I can announce at the moment. I, I think that we'll have something, you know, something to talk about very soon, but uh, you know, I think a lot of it right now is just kind of figure out what's possible in a, in a, new world that we're living in. Well, we, we look forward to whatever you, you, you bring to us. Um, Derek Bort, director of Unhinged, thank you so much. Please go out and watch the movie. It's in UK cinemas at the minute. Uh, make the effort. It's fantastic, thrilling, thrill ride. It's really, really great fun. Uh, so yeah, thank you again, Derek Bort. I appreciate it. Good talking with you. That was our interview there with Derek Bort. A fantastic interview, wasn't it? Very, very interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. What did you think about the film itself, Dan? I was really looking forward to this. Really, really looking forward to this. About a month or two when the trailer dropped. And like a lot of films this summer, it, it, got, it got put a release date, then it got delayed, then it got delayed again. Finally, we got, got to sit down and watch it. And I'm so glad, first off, that this has been given a cinema release. This was the film I was just looking for. This is the film that was going to kick off the summer season for me. Forget Tenet, Russell Crowe's your man. In fact, a bloated Russell Crowe, weighing like 300 pounds. He's your man. Um, I hope he's yeah. not listening to this, because he <laughs> might get offended. No, we love you, Russell. We love you. It's for the role. We love you. Speaking of Russell Crowe, obviously he plays a man who is on the edge. He plays a man who is not having a good day at all. And I think he plays that so effortlessly. You really get the sense of his aggression and his frustration. And it all just comes about the fact that a woman just cuts him off at a junction. But what people don't know is um, I had a similar experience to this. Maybe not so much that there was a guy who's like a psychopath stalking me or killing people. But about two years ago now, I was at a traffic junction. I had my shades on, just coming out of work, out of teaching. <laughs> oh. and, um, and yeah, I, was, I wasn't kind of paying attention where I was going. And, and the car in front had gone and I wasn't quite looking up in time. And the van behind me beeped at me, which I thought was unnecessary. And then I kind of was like, okay, gave him a bit of a glare. They didn't like the glare, you see. They didn't like the glare, <laughs> even though I had my sunglasses on. 
it's because I'm so shady, you see. You are so um, shady. I was so shady. And then they pulled alongside me and just two of these guys in a white van, no disrespect to white van men, but um, they just kind of stared at me and he just kind of shouted some explicits that we can't say on the show. And we're just like, watch where you're going. They're shouting. I don't know what it was in that moment. I think I had a bit of a, a Russell Crowe moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I did something very, very unchristian like, and something that I regret deeply, and something I've never done in a long time. And I uh, put a finger up, <laughs> ex- expecting to me to just zoom off like Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious and just go, goodbye, sucker. Um, I did it, looked up ahead, and thought it was red. So I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That made them even more angry. Oh. So what ended up was them chasing me for 10 minutes on the M4. Wow. Um, really scarily. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds funny, but genuinely, I was, I was just sweating beyond belief. Um, finally, they, they got right up behind me because I was trying to like kind of di- divert them. They got right behind me and then just kind of pulled off into another junction and left. Um, I think they wanted oh. to intimidate me. But the that reason I tell brilliant. that story... It is, it's, I told it many times to Joe, but it's, it's a funny story, but genuinely, I think these situations and these experiences happen on a daily basis. Um, and that's what I love about Unhinged. It is rooted in truth. These are very, very realistic situations that people find themselves in, where one person, for one reason or another, is having a bad day, something's happened to them, and they take all their frustration, all their anger out on the road. So yeah, not quite Russell Crowe those guys were, but be careful on the roads, guys. You could bump into a Russell Crowe next time. Oh, so if, Derek, if Derek is listening, he's just mm. got unhinged too, right there. Just you and these guys, just these guys chasing you in the white van. I've, I've got the title, Unhinged 2, Mad Men in Mercer. That's brilliant, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Perfect. I want to see Perfect. that made. Derek, if you're yeah. listening, you've got our details. Get in touch, please. Yeah, very short film, by the way. It'd be like a short 20 minutes. But yeah, the reason I mentioned that, like I said, is because the concept it is so good. I thought the whole kind of interaction with the young mother and Russell Crowe, I, that really got to me. And then from there on, was just that tension building and building and building. And I turned to you halfway through it, and my heart was pounding so fast, just any moment because you didn't know when Russell Crowe was going to be coming out in that lovely car of his and that's what I just love about the film like I said the concept is great Russell Crowe like you've never seen him before I I know there's rumors that he wasn't sure whether to take the role or not but I'm so glad he he did because not only is he really intimidating really psychopathic in the film it's kind of rooted in realism in in a strange strange way I mean not to say there will be people out there so not to say not to condone it there are drivers on the road like this. The cast are brilliant. You've got Gabriel Bateman playing the son, Kyle, who is just, he's a real up-and-comer. I think the kid's really, really talented. I mean, I had just a ton of fun with this movie. I really, really did. Perfect on the big screen, 90 minutes, short and sweet. And I just thought the, the car sequences and how all they use practical effects, I thought those were just brilliant. And you can tell that, you know, Derek Bort behind the camera, he just has such a style, you know, he just has such a skill to capture in these car chase scenes. They are genuinely so unnerving and so petrifying to watch. I really, really say to people, you know, go out to the cinema. If you're going to, if you like a good psychological thriller, and if you've had a similar experience than I have on the road with some angry drivers, you will really, really enjoy this. There wasn't a single moment that, that it didn't give up. Um, I thought, you know, that the momentum, the tension, the pace of the film, 
is the driving force, pardon the pun. And yeah, loved it. It is my film of the week this week. I, I really, really loved it. I thought it was first and foremost, just a lot of fun. And I, I hadn't seen the trailer until a couple of days beforehand. And when I watched the trailer, I was just so psyched for it because it's been so long since I've seen a film which is just fun and just is, its kind of main purpose is to, again, a little bit of a gladiator pen here, entertain. It certainly did entertain me. It's got a short run time, like 90 minutes. And from minute one to minute 90, not a single moment is wasted. I think the cast are great. Russell Crowe is fantastic. And I think the biggest draw to him in the end for this character in this movie I think I said in the interview, it is a film which is first and foremost looking to entertain and, you know, you can have a lot of fun with it. But there are elements, and I know it sounds strange, and I know some people will probably go and watch it and think, oh, well, that was just, you know, a a popcorn movie. But there are elements in there which I think is necessary for, for any type of film which do touch on modern day society you know there's that implication that Russell Crowe has got you know issues with his mental health he's taking tablets um, all the way through there and it starts and this is all kind of framed really nicely in the opening credits which has a lot of footage of these kind of road rage incidents and news stories about people um, becoming more and more aggressive about you know the lack of funding for police and things like that which is another debate entirely but the fact that there's not enough police the fact that you know mental health people with mental health are struggling to get the help that they need that's all kind of framed in in those opening credits so that when you are watching the film even though it is a lot of fun and first and foremost I think it is just a decent psychological thriller it does have that stuff in the background I think that is important I can see why Russell Crowe signed on for the film and he does give the character a bit more depth than maybe somebody else would have in that role. Um, So I think it is, yeah, just a lot of fun. Like I laughed in it. I jumped in it. I think it's got some great moments of tension all the way through it. If you like Steven Spielberg's Duel or um, Falling Down with Michael Douglas, it's got those vibes to it. And I think it is just the perfect movie to really kick off cinemas reopening i think a lot of people will go and see this and if you're used to watching stuff at home this is perfect because it's there one minute it's gone the next it flies by but i i gotta say i had a real blast um with this movie and i hope it's done well at the box office considering everything that's going against it it's done really really well so i hope more and more people continue to go out and uh, and see it because it is a real treat i think yeah, definitely. And you're right. I think people have the preconception this is just mindless fun. And it is, but you're right. It has real kind of commentary on mental health, on kind of, you know, help and you know, what support are there for people. And I think what causes these kind of incidents, because, mm. you know, from, from first glance, it just looks like it, it's, oh, somebody's having a bad day, you cut your ass. But, you know, what goes on with that person in the car? You know, what goes on in their head? Um, yeah. And you're right, I thought, I thought it was really kind of rich in, in subtext, to be honest. I especially thought a summer popcorn film, you know, I, I was yeah. really surprised by that. Definitely, and, and it's sort of about the vicious cycle of, mm. you know, um, people dealing with their own problems. Russell Crowe is going through his own, own stuff, 
and then this other character who beeps him she's going through her own stuff and it's all about looking outside of your own periphery looking outside of your own universe as to what other people are going through and to have that idea that notion that you know you might be going through stuff but other people are going through stuff too and how if we forget that and if we are mean and if we act out against people because we're having a hard time then it's just passing it on it's paying it forward it's just that ever-growing vicious circle so i think it definitely links into what's going on in society right now so you know extra points for that for sure and yeah definitely uh, my film of the week as well Before we go, we just wanted to mention a, a film that is on streaming at the minute, which is available on Shudder, which is a horror streaming service for you. It's called Host. And Joe, you were like, you saw this the other day, a couple of days ago, and you recommended it to me. You were like, you've got to watch this movie. And um, it's set on Zoom on a desktop during lockdown, which I think is really interesting because when you think of the time scale, we've only been locked down since like March, April. So the fact that they have filmed this managed to you know post-production put it onto a streaming service is so incredible isn't it um but yeah you really enjoyed it yeah i just came across this on sunday our good friend hc uh from hc movie reviews he um had posted his review his rating on letterboxd i kind of came across that and my better half she's a big fan of horror movies so i thought oh i'll check this out i think it's on amazon i cheered a lot of word of mouth through twitter and things like that and i saw that it was an hour long so it kind of piqued my interest massively a horror movie shot in lockdown i mean i just thought i've, I've got to check it out and I was really, really surprised at how well made this film is. I jumped out of my skin at least on three occasions, which I just did not expect to happen at all. It is a real kind of surprise, a really real hidden gem of a movie at the moment. And I think, you know, you, you look at back at films like The Blair Witch Project and things like that, which kind of came from nowhere and people didn't know if they were real or not. I mean, if you put this on a TV screen and nobody kind of knew what it was, you might, it might freak people out because it's just so well done the way that they do the Zoom call and everything. So it's on Shudder. You can get a seven-day free trial. It's full of jump scares. The practical scares are really well done. I don't know how they manage to do some of the stuff like pulling people back in chairs. And honestly, it's better than at least the last five paranormal activities that they released on the big screen so that's saying something too absolutely and it's funny you mentioned Blair Witch Project because that was a film that came to my mind and when that came out like in late 90s early 2000s uh, and how how much realism there was to it and also how many people thought it was genuinely it genuinely happened and people were there was conspiracy theories about it and obviously it turned out it was a feature film but I felt the same way watching this I, I not only was I just scared to death but I genuinely, for the full 56 minutes, genuinely, you know, had my belief was suspended. And I really, really thought I was on a Zoom call with these people um, and was about to call the police at the end because I genuinely thought these people had been injured. And very, very <laughs> rare that a horror film can do that. You're right. And I think you said about the practical effects. I mean, there's, there's people falling off things, there's people getting dragged across them. There's a scene, uh, without spoiling it, where a girl falls off her balcony and like smashes onto a table. And genuinely, I don't know how they did that, whether it's computer generated or whether it's practical. Um, but you're right, it's 10 times better uh, than most horror films we see nowadays. 
and I'm glad it's on schedule. I'm glad it's on a good platform. Dare I say, I think 10 times better than those Unfriended movies as well, which I, I'm a big fan of. I, I do like Unfriended. Um, and they are interesting, but it goes to show you can have a film with a lower budget that is far more effective. I think it's really inspiring to budding filmmakers who, you know, I think a lot of them were kind of out of work, unemployed during the lockdown and thought to themselves, oh, I really want to make a movie. Well, here you go. This is what can happen, you know? Shudder will uh, nab it up for you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely terrific. And like I said, yeah, inspiring for a lot of people as well. So go see it. Seven day free trial. What have you got to lose? Thank you so much for listening to today's show don't forget you can follow us on social media we're on facebook under the dan and joe film show uh, we're also on twitter and instagram at dj film show that's at dj film show and if you want to catch up with all our old episodes uh, you can listen to them on mixcloud dan joe film show we're also on spotify itunes and apple podcast as well uh, so yes and it's another week's gone by um, and um, we'll, get, we'll see you in, in about two, three weeks now until the Big E's Tenet is uh, released. Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which we've waited so long for. Uh, I bet you by the time we upload this, it'll be delayed again. Uh, but we're, we're going to hope and pray that it doesn't. Fingers so, crossed. Fingers crossed. So, um, yeah, we've got a great show for that. And also the new Mutants coming out at the end of August. So uh, thank you again for listening. Thank you to you, Joe. Thank you to you, Dan. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all very soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye.